Welcome back to Over Here. My name is Nick Finzer, and today we are talking with the amazing trumpet player, flugelhornist, band leader, composer, and general great guy, and a real go-getter, a guy that makes things happen, doesn't wait for things uh, to happen to him, and that is John Raymond. He leads a trio called Real Feels, and for the last four years or so, they've been touring the globe and kind of just taking over, and I wanted to talk to John for a long time. Uh, about some of that, about the background, about how he got to the current project. And he talks a lot about thinking about yourself as an artist, as not only a creative artist, but also as an artist that has a product to share, that has something unique to share with his audience, his or her audience, that is. And we really start to delve into uh, some of the realities of touring and some of the realities of having a band, putting out records, Not only that, but also developing content and uh, keeping everything rolling as a band leader in 2018 and beyond. Uh, I think this is going to have to be part one of two parts because there's too much stuff uh, that we did not get to talk about uh, because of time uh, this time around. But John is a great guy. Check out johnraymond.net if you want to see more things about John. But without further ado, I'm going to let us get right to the conversation. All right, John, thanks so much for being here. Really glad to have you. you know, for our listeners, a lot of them are aspiring musicians, and uh, if they don't know who you are, could you give them a little bit of a background about who you are and where you're at right now? Sure. Um, well, I was originally born in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and uh, grew up there all my life and went to school a little bit in Wisconsin for my undergrad initially, um, and after that, uh, moved to New York to do a graduate degree at SUNY Purchase, just outside of New York. Um, but the real reason I wanted to be there was just to be in the scene and just kind of immerse myself in what New York was. And um, so I moved to New York in 2009 and finished grad school. And basically, from that point on, have um, been releasing and I guess recording and releasing records under my own name, um, writing lots of original music, um, and just generally trying to, um, yeah, make, make it as a band leader in, in jazz today, I guess, if you will. Um, (laughs) and I, and now I, I recently, as of last year, moved to Indiana, um, to teach at Indiana university in Bloomington. So that's where I'm at now. Nice. So, could you back us up to the moment where you decided like, all right, I'm not going to wait around anymore. I'm going to like try to do this project. And what, and what was that first project of yours? Well, I mean, it probably dates all the way back to high school for me. Um, I, I sort of caught the bug of like wanting to be a jazz musician when I was like a sophomore or junior. And uh, there were some folks that I knew from some other schools around Minneapolis that we decided to kind of put a band together and uh, we somehow, I can't remember how, but we got a gig at the Dakota Jazz Club, which was then in St. Paul and, you know, is kind of the most well-known jazz venue in the Twin Cities. And um, we, I just remember we had like 200 people there or something. We told all of our family and friends and everybody came out and it was kind of this huge thing. And from that point on, I think I, I sort of had the realization like, Oh, I really like this. I like playing music. 
and doing what I want to do. And uh, so even when I got to school in Wisconsin, in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, um, you know, I formed a, a band of folks that I was going to school with there immediately. And we made a record in the band room in our, in our uh, college and like just try to play, play out all around town and, and around the area. And then I think that just transferred to New York when I moved there where, you know, I, I just kind of kept that same mentality. Like that's just what I wanted to do. So I'm just going to do it. And as you know, you, you go through a lot of obstacles um, of, you know, trying to figure out how to actually make it happen. But I think it kind of starts with that initial desire and then just going for it and not really looking back. Yeah, sure. So I think the first record that I noticed of yours was the, I think it's a quartet record with Billy Hart and Dan Tepfer. Mm -hmm. uh, I forget who was on bass on that one. Yeah. Joe Martin, Joe Martin. Yeah. And, um, was, was that your first record in once you got to New York or was there something before that? That was actually my second. Um, I did a record in 2012 or I guess I recorded it in 2011 right as I was finishing grad school and then release it in 2012. And, you know, I look back on that now and I'm, I kind of like don't want people to listen to it because it was so, uh, you know, immature at the time, I think. But it was a really important step to have to go through that whole process um, and sort of, uh, I don't know, I don't know. I think that album in a lot of senses was helpful for me to further define who I was a, as a musician, as an artist and what I really was trying to say. Uh, I think I didn't really know at that point, but I had to do a record <laughs> to go through that and maybe get to that point, I guess. Yeah. I, I mean, I understand that. <laughs> I definitely still feel like I'm figuring that out. Yeah. but um so so then that first record that you really put a lot of effort and time and i would assume money into uh that's what was that record called with billy hart um that one was called foreign territory so how did that kind of come to be and i know that you did some touring with that like so could you just give us a little bit of the story of that whole project sure yeah um well it sort of started because i was kind of studying with John McNeil who um, teaches at NEC and lives in Brooklyn. He, he did the tea lounge sessions when the tea lounge was still a thing in Brooklyn. And um, so we would get together every now and then. And I think his way of playing and his way of thinking about music was really influential for me at that time. And so we had talked about doing an album and he would produce it essentially. And uh, from there, you know, he knows Billy really well. They go back a long ways. And so he asked Billy to be a part of the record. And um, I wanted Dan and Joe to be a part of the record. And and then, you know, so after we recorded it, essentially, um, I kind of shopped it around to some labels and ended up releasing it on Fresh Sound, New Talent. And from there, um, you know, st <clears throat> started to kind of tour with the group a little bit. We We only really had one small tour we had a couple release dates on the east coast within a couple weeks of each other um in new york and uh marlboro at the falcon um just north of new york and then somewhere else too i can't remember uh, 
but then we also did like a short little tour of the Midwest as well. But that was that was kind of it for that project. So what was it like trying to like wrangle that band of musicians that uh, I don't mean to be disrespectful when I say this, but like as younger musicians trying to hire older musicians, like I, I can imagine the, you know, there's some sensitive sensitivity that has to happen or a little bit of trust that they'll, you know, come and play with you. How did you kind of overcome that? Yeah. You know, um, I don't know. I think in some ways I was just really naive and I just knew that if I could make the situation right for them, um, musically, at least do whatever I could, you know, as best as I could musically to make it something that they enjoyed. Um, as well as obviously like make the finances work for them because they're more established elder musicians, like you said. So that's like, you know, it's just a real thing. Um, that if those two things were in place, that it would be cool. And it, it was for the most part, but it was obviously really expensive to try to, um, you know, travel with a band of three, like kind of heavier, older musicians. Um, and so that I, I just couldn't sustain it, I guess. Yeah. Right. So how did you, how did you, I think I'm asking this question because I think a lot of people wonder, or a lot of people get stuck in the idea that like they don't have the money or they don't have this, they don't have that. How did you, like get it all together in order to get that out there and to, to take those steps that needed to be taken. Mm. Well, um, for me personally, I was actually kind of fortunate because, um, I moved to New York and I was engaged. And so my wife and I got married like a year into me being there and she, uh, you know, she worked as a middle school teacher in Brooklyn and I worked as a freelancer teaching and playing and everything in between. And, you know, between the two of us, we essentially had enough funds happening that I could save a lot of money on a regular basis. And so from the financial end of things, for me, it, it really was a direct result of her um, and us being together and and you know, sort of living within our means, I guess, um, to really give what I was doing the most opportunity that I could, you know? Um, but then on the other side of it, um, I don't know, what was the other side of it that you mentioned the financial thing? And then the, yeah, just to, just what, um, what you had to do to make it happen. But I think you kind of explained it that you prioritized it and you you're saying that you just kind of like saved money to do it and you just knew that it was something that was important to you to do <laughs> yeah i think there's a lot of um there's a lot of things that can come up for musicians that you know make make you think like i shouldn't do this it's too hard um it costs too much it's too lengthy of a process um and all those things are kind of true. It's not that they're not true, but I think it ultimately just comes down to a sort of will and desire and resolve to like do what you really want to do with your life. You know, uh, I, I remember moving to New York and meeting a ton of great musicians, but musicians who I felt like sort of let the city um, dictate what they did sure, artistically. Sure. Uh, because of, of just needing to work enough, you know, and I just always sort of have had the, 
resolve that I wasn't going to let that happen. Like I was going to do what I needed to do to financially make what I needed to make, but ultimately have kind of a greater goal in mind and stick to that and not really move from it, you know? Yeah, no, I definitely know what you mean. Um, so from there you did that project and then you've moved on to, I, I'm pretty sure what the project that you're still leading now, which is real feels. And could you tell us about that band? Yeah. Um, so real feels is a trio with Gilad Hexelman on guitar and Colin Stranahan on drums. And it started, I guess in 2014, I think. Um, and it was sort of an experiment to start where there was a, a trio gig spot in New York that I had gotten a gig for and just decided to do something a little out of the box and do guitar and drums and flugelhorn instead of trumpet and instead of bass and everything. And it ended up kind of being like this magical thing when it happened that I just enjoyed it so much that... I was kind of like, okay, I just have to keep pushing on this a little bit and and not let go of that. And from there, it was sort of like, I, I felt like what happened was there was like a moment where I was like, okay, something here is very genuine and it feels really, really good. So how can I keep this there and how can I just explore what this is more? And the last four plus years, I guess, have sort of been a result of all that. And it's kind of resulted in, I guess we're about to release our fifth record and um, done a lot of touring with the band too. And um, it feels like it's really evolved into something that still feels just as genuine, but it's, it's, um, it's ever evolving, I guess, you know? So you say it's your, you're coming up on your fifth record, but they haven't all been like real big records. Some of them have been like digital things. Is that right? Um, one of them, I guess, was – well, no, I guess they were all physical, but cool. um, two of the records – wait, no. Let me think about this here. It'll be our fourth record. Fourth record. Not our fifth. It'll be our fourth record. Um, two of those are studio albums, and we're about to release our second live record. Ah, got it. I knew there was something like that. Cool. cool. Yeah, yeah. So there was like a, a first – the first studio record we did, which we recorded in 2014 and released in 2016 – and then released a live record later in 2016. And then our most recent studio record was in this year, 2018. And then we're about to release a new live one in 2019. Awesome. So I think in addition to those, you've not been shy about trying to take advantage of, you know, all of the avenues to connect with people with your music. And I'm specifically thinking about a lot of the really great videos that you've put out there as well as the records. How have you found, you know, the, that putting out the videos and focusing on making sure that it looks as good as it sounds has been beneficial for you and the band. I think it's been huge. I think it's maybe been one of the biggest reasons for any success that we've had. Uh, if not the biggest, actually, um, I was, I've been literally just talking to a couple random people this week who have mentioned the videos that we have on YouTube. And that's the first thing they reference when they, talk about the band and so um yeah i don't know it was i i think for me it, it really um that whole thing was inspired by just seeing a lot of peers of ours uh in new york that 
I felt like I really looked up to and what they were doing. And to me, like the most compelling thing that I was into was just the video aspect of it and the visual aspect of it. And, um, and I think it's, you know, it's reaped, reaped its rewards. Um, totally, you know? So in your mind, when you're thinking about the next projects or the projects in general, do you, how do you conceive of like the content side of it? The, like, what do you do do it all at once? Do you do it afterwards? What's kind of your process with that sort of stuff? Um, it's, uh, I mean, I guess it, it just depends. You know, it started out for us where we didn't really have any video content and then we were actually touring and I just kind of wanted to get some live video of the band and that sort of resulted in like a lot of great videos um, from a gig we did in LA at the Blue Whale. And from there, that's what made me really realize like, okay, I can really um, think more intentionally about this and kind of do more with it, you know? And so I guess as I'm even thinking about this next record that we're doing and going to put out in a couple months, um, you know, since we, or since I decided that this live record was going to happen, which would have been the summer of this year at some point, maybe June, um, I knew that I had to have video content. It was kind of like a non-negotiable. And so it was really just finding the time to do it, um, and kind of deciding, okay, is this going to be like a live setting at a gig? Um, or is it going to be more of kind of a studio session video of some kind, more of a concept thing? And I think it just depends. I think for, for me personally, I, um, again, I think I'm most compelled by videos that are in like really unique locations, like something that you really remember. So you know, I think that's maybe as important as the music that you're hearing because you're seeing like the background and the sort of aesthetic that has to sort of complement the music um, in a visual sense. And so I've just wanted to create videos or, or work with people to create videos where we're trying to capture some unique settings. And to me, that's, I guess, what I'm most interested in, I guess. No, that, that's, that's perfect. Um, so now can we kind of a little bit switch gears, but still talking about real feels, uh, could you kind of back up? So the, the project's been around since we just said 2014 ish. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think a lot of people really struggle with the booking side of things. And it seems like you have developed a system for yourself that has really worked out. And, uh, and I was wondering if there's anything you could share with, you know, younger musicians who are getting frustrated by, mm. you know, the constant, the constant, uh, battle of getting just a few gigs, let alone, you know, international tours like you've gotten for, for real feel. So maybe just, could you walk us back and give some sure. suggestions? Yeah. Um, well, I think first, um, the hardest part to me is I feel like we as musicians need to have um, a product, a musical product that is not only really good, like it has to be really good. It can't just be like, okay, it has to be like really high quality and it has to be unique in some way. Um, and I think that's the hardest part 
almost, you know, even before we even get to the booking stuff, because you have to really figure out what genuinely for you as an artist is unique about yourself and what you're trying to say. Um, once you have that, I think it's really just a matter of, you know, I guess my, my process was, um, you know, I looked all around the country for basically every kind of jazz venue that I could find. Um, and it ranged from like really small, you know, sort of coffee shop sort of situations to like the best jazz clubs in the country or the best jazz festival or something. And I think, uh, somewhere on that spectrum you can sort of figure out and and kind of put two and two together from where you're at as an artist of like what clubs does this music fit best in not only with like what the audience is but like what kind of situation is it um you know most people when they start out are not going to be playing the best jazz clubs in the country and so i think you sort of have to endure this season where you sort of pay your dues of playing out as much as possible, um, you know, obviously to an ex- to an extent, um, as much as you can handle financially and all that. But like, you know, you just have to play and develop a live show and develop a live experience that you want to give people. And I think that's another thing that you know maybe gets undervalued sometimes. It's like, you know it's especially as a band leader, I think it's, um, it's a trait that you have to develop over time of just like playing in front of people and leading a band and being on the microphone and your stage presence. And that really only happens by just doing it. And so I guess my recommendation for, you know, any kind of younger musicians out there who are wanting to do something like this is just to like get something really great musically and, um, look up every possible place that you could go, like start with your region even. Um, so if you're in the Midwest, for example, like look up all the spots in the Midwest that you could go and just put something together. Um, don't think twice about it, but just make it happen. And then over time, um, you'll do that over and over and over again for years and it'll grow each time. You know, and I think that's the other important thing to realize is like you're not going to build Rome in a day. Right. So you're not going to like be able to go from zero to 60. So, uh, you know, if you if you keep doing it over and over again for a long period of time, I think that's where some momentum really starts to build. And you as an artist, you're like really developing what you want to say, you know, and what the experience you um, what what the experience is that you want to give to people. Yeah, uh, that's a, a perfect way to describe it, I think. Um, and then I know now you're on to this latest project and you, you just finished a really big uh, crowdfunding campaign. Um, yeah. I was wondering if you could uh, share any thoughts you had about going through that experience. Was, was this your first crowdfunding campaign? <laughs> it was my second. The first one I did was for that first record that I did back in... 2012 mm-hmm. um, that I don't want anybody to hear, uh, <laughs> but, um, 
Yeah, you know, it was a crazy process, and it was interesting doing it so many years later. Like, I, I think it would have been now six or seven years removed from the two Kickstarter, Kickstarter campaigns that I did. And the first one, I remember, you know, really being able to sell CDs for the Kickstarter, but now it's so much different. Um, I think one of the interesting realizations I had was that I think more, I mean, there were still plenty of people that bought downloads and bought physical copies of the record via the Kickstarter, but I got this sense that more people were interested in the t-shirts and if I had had vinyl, I actually think that would have been like the deal breaker. Um, I, I just think it's, it's like a unique medium that, you know, if you can afford it, um, it's a really unique thing to offer people, I guess. Um, but I guess in general, you know, one thing I could say with the Kickstarter is, um, as anyone who's done it can attest to, it's very emotionally draining. Yeah. Um, you go through these like crazy high highs and then really low lows, uh, of, you know, wondering if you should have even started this thing in the first place and, you know, getting really discouraged about it. And then you have a good day and it'll feel really exciting. And, uh, I think you have to go into it with a really, uh, strong mindset and kind of will just to like believe in it the whole time. Um, and that can be hard for anybody. Um, but I, I also think in the same way, it's uh, it's a really great way to connect with people. Like, you know, I know it's something that's so important to you. It's like just the interaction that you get to have with fans and people that are into the music. Um, you know, they, they literally show their gratitude and appreciation through a financial contribution. And I think that that's a really humbling thing as an artist. Um, it kind of puts you in check and makes you grateful for the people that are into what you do. Um, and it also just provides a great connection point for you as an artist to meet new people also and continue relationships that you already have with, with fans too. Yeah. I can attest to the, uh, difficulties of the of that sort of stuff but um i want to be respectful of your time i'm sure you you got to get going but um i just on a closing note want to let you you know share with people some stuff that you have coming up and um what you're up to i know i think you're going to new york this weekend i'm here now actually you're here in new york now okay so there you go uh so uh just even where people can connect with you and where they can find the new record when it comes out and all that sort of stuff sure yeah well, um, this fall I was, uh, a part of a release from a band named kind folk, which includes Alex LaRay and alto saxophone and Noam Weisenberg on bass and Colin Stranahan on drums and myself. And we just put out a record called why not on fresh sound, um, that just came out that people can check out. And then, uh, I've got, the second live real fields record coming out in January on Sunnyside records. Uh, so it'll be live volume two. Um, it'll be all, um, recordings from a gig we had in LA back in May of 2018. Um, that was a really, really special night of music again. And so 
Um, that'll come out January 18th, and we have a bunch of tour dates scheduled for January and February, and then some in April um, as well, and, and more to come later in 2019 also. So Nice. And so- if people want to know, uh, my website is johnraymondmusic.net, um, not .com, .net. And um, you can also find me on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all of that too. And if just to reiterate, any trumpet players out there looking for a place to go and study trumpet, John teaches jazz trumpet and a bunch of other things at Indiana, Indiana University. I'm sure the uh, application deadline is coming up. It is for us, so I'm sure it is for you. <laughs> yep, yep, exactly. So, um, John, man, thank you so much for taking some time to you know share some of your insights. Uh, maybe sometime we can uh, get together for a round two, dig a little deeper. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, man. That was John Raymond, and that was our conversation. Definitely part one of part, however many parts into the future. We really appreciate you all being here. Please check out johnraymond.net to see what he is up to and all of what he does as a band leader. Uh, He's a great example for young people to aspire to uh, be as active, as committed, and uh, take a lead from him in terms of prioritizing your music, prioritizing your projects, Uh, You need to save money and invest in yourself in order to be able to make things happen. 99 out of 100 people need to be thinking about producing things themselves and are not going to get selected by the powers that be, the ones that are left, to just pluck you out of obscurity and throw you into uh, the situations that you want to be a part of. You have to fight each and every day a little bit towards those goals. So John is a great example of that. I really appreciate him being here and sharing that with you all. Thanks again for being here. My name is Nick Finzer. This is Over Here, and we'll be back in just a few weeks with another episode.